So in terms of scalability, the technology has been able to scale pretty linearly. So we work with retailers who've got vast amount of products, but sometimes that can create challenges. So I think there's maybe a bit around the ideal customer profile. So I remember early on, we, we began working with a marketplace, which had, again, millions of SKUs across many countries. And that just created some technical challenges, which we were able to overcome. But we needed to think about how we dissect and work with such a large inventory and still be able to give that that granular product intelligence on an individual SKU level. My name's Liam Patterson. I'm the CEO of Bidnamic. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Liam Patterson is giving you a way to maximize revenue by unlocking your Google Shopping potential. All this and more on Code Story. Liam Patterson has been an entrepreneur since the early days of his life. He was the kid that was selling sweets at school, undercutting the local store. He journeyed into e-commerce as he got older, continuing his entrepreneurial journey. Outside of tech, he's a runner and is into fencing. Recently, he completed his first marathon after training for about a year. In regards to fencing, he started when he was a kid and did it all the way through college, which is actually where he met his now co-founder. Liam's prior business was a print-on-demand company, which allowed for printing and shipping at a local level. As they scaled that business, they came to be hooked on Google Shopping and started using off-the-shelf tech to manage the campaigns. They found them to be lacking and eventually built their own, and it became their competitive advantage. This is the creation story of Bidnamic. So what we do at Bidnamic is we're, we're leveraging machine learning and AI to help assist e-commerce retailers with one of their biggest marketing channels. And that marketing channel is the pay-per-click model within Google Ads, which is uh, Google Shopping. So when you go to go, go online, type in a product such as men's running shoes, you'll see a carousel of adverts come up. So they're, they're visual in nature. So you can see a little, little tile of the product image, their price, description, there are carousels, there's typically around five of them. And uh, and when you click on one of those ads on that product, you get directed through to the e-commerce retailer's website where you can uh, hopefully go on to purchase. And what we do is, as a technology company is we take and automate and apply a level of, of expertise to what has really gone beyond the human's capability, which is predicting exactly how much to pay for a single click and we can take in, into effect many, many different things which, which in, impact the likelihood a customer is going to buy. And that allows us to price the click. So to bid in an auction, so there's a competitive auction going on in Google for who shows up. Because if you imagine men's running shoes, there's thousands of retailers that could sell that, that product and do sell that product and could take that spot on the carousel on Google. So, uh, so what our technology does is it helps retailers show up, get more visibility on that carousel. So visibility that leads to, to revenue, leads to orders, leads to purchases, and the right profitability. So, so where the right cost is coming into that as well. 
It was a team of us that built an e-commerce retailer. So it's a marketplace, a print-on-demand business. So unlike a traditional e-commerce business, which has a warehouse, has stock, and then has the, the front end of an e-commerce store, and it has to acquire customers through, through Google and Google Shopping, we had a print-on-demand marketplace. So it meant that we, we could access thousands of artists, illustrators, graphic designers who could upload digital versions so of their of their of their product and merchandise it onto popular merchandise so phone cases t-shirts mugs so they could place their graphic and instantly create a photorealistic product that looked like it had been uh, photographed professionally and existed we scaled that marketplace up to thousands of, of artists or, or sellers tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of images across millions of products so it was a really really uh, large marketplace and because it was print on demand unlike the warehouse model of traditional retail we would just print it on demand after someone purchased that product we'd print it and we built a distributed network of printers so our model allowed them to to print it on demand and it allowed us to route it locally as well so we'd send that order to be printed in in the US and ship next day to the customer so it's a, it was a really efficient model and as we scaled that business we became quite unhealthily addicted to Google shopping so it became our massive revenue channel we we tried other channels like Facebook Amazon and got got some good uh, some good growth through those channels but always found that Google shopping was just this channel which could just keep growing and growing as we got more inventory more products into more countries we just started using technology off the shelf where possible to to set up these this Google shopping bidding and and campaign structure but just found the technology was all was all kind of lacking the the granularity of what what we wanted to do and what we knew was possible so we started developing our own technology in-house for about three years which really became our our secret to success internally and then uh, and then we took it to market so we made a pivot with our business model where we started to our investors were asking us, we had an angel investment into the business, and they'd say, God, you know, can we use this technology? We're seeing the results you're getting, the profitability, the growth. You know, they've made investments into other e-commerce businesses, maybe running some themselves. And we're saying, could we use this technology? We were like, oh, no, we have no idea about SaaS, uh, software as a service, and the offerings and, and all that go to market and, and other strategies. So so uh, we really resisted it until, until one day we worked with one of our investors' clients and just got this huge uptick in, in revenue and growth and then we sat back and thought, okay maybe we're maybe we're onto something here let's dive into the mvp then so tell me about that first product you build i guess this would be within the print on demand business or it could be after you decide but that first product you you, you built how long did it take you to build what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life so yeah we were our first customer we knew what was possible in terms of the uh, different structures and we really knew that the power of an individual SKU. So to kind of explain the MVP, we have to explain a little bit of, of context around, uh, around Google ads and around Google shopping. Someone who's advertising a product, an e-commerce product, would group these products together with, with similar other items. And they would set a bid, a cost per click bid or a target on all those products. For every dollar in, I want to get $5 back. And that'll be their target. And that'll be as granular as they could get. Whereas we knew that, that every single item was unique. We knew that they had different profit margins. You know, one might be on sale, one might be at 80% margin. If it's not on sale, one might be at 10% margin. We also knew that some products would lead to higher average order values and higher repeat rates, so higher lifetime values. So we really knew that all these products had these, these connections and these signals behind them. And we wanted to be able to, to 
build the campaign structure and the bidding from this individual SKU level, as opposed to um, what was the best practice and what was the, the method used by, by other tools and in-house teams to avoid that complexity and group all these products together into you know, hundreds or thousands into one ad group. In terms of the tooling we used, we worked heavily with the Google Ads API to pull back information, to set the, the, the structures. Yeah, so it was a lot of different, different technologies going into it and to be able to do the big calculations, to be able to make sure that, that we weren't over, overwhelming the APIs, that uh, tasks were getting processed um, and, and concurrently. So a lot of back-end technologies we were using, as well as the Google Ads API. So we were sending it into Google, which is where the structure is built out, the Google Ads structure and the Google bidding that we're, we're defining how much to pay for that click. It was very limited uh, in terms of front end. And then as we started to scale up from there, yeah, we started to get our initial customers on board. And, and again, we're kind of using the Google Ads uh, front end and our, our integration with it to drive this very granular SKU level campaign structure that we that we built out. So from that point, you've got the MVP, it's working. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And what, what I'm looking for there is how you went about building your roadmap and deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build for Bidnamic. Until very recently, we've been kind of a one product business. So it's been really looking at what is it that's going to move the dial on performance for our, our retail e-commerce clients. So the big kind of starting point was we were doing all this around the SKU level. So understanding how that product SKU is performing, how it relates to the similarity of other SKUs and setting the right price for the click. But then we really knew that that was a another axis to this performance and the other axis was what the customer was typing into google so this later became purchase intent so you know if someone just typed in men's shoes pretty generic pretty much an awareness term they're quite unlikely to to click from a, a very broad term like that and actually make a purchase however as we saw once they started to refine that maybe men's size 10 adidas running shoes more detailed hitting more uh, knowledge of the product they're looking for. So that would move to a consideration. And then if they start adding the exact model numbers, sizes, colors, maybe even price points in there, and then we saw a really, really high conversion rate. So that's the click to a sale of, in Google Ads. So we saw that this was a huge area, but meant that we had to understand not only product data, but search query data and that influence of, of similarity to that product to be able to uh, bid at not only a product level, but a search query level as well. So that was a real challenge um, to do and was really driven by our understanding of the impacts which would, or the factors which would have a big impact for our, for our customers. And we're also able to get very quick feedback loops. So we're able to deploy, deploy this into our system, see the impact on the customers and iterate from there as well. So it's quite an iterative uh, process as well. Let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? Being a, a very technical product, we, we unfortunately had to kind of rule out early early career staff. So I think there's, uh, for, for a lot of companies, we really want to take on you know juniors and, and people out of universities and really upskill them, up-train them. But unfortunately, when we did that, we just realized there was too much of a gap that actually to, to operate as a, as a team, we needed to have a small team 
of real, real subject matter experts and technology experts as well. The other part was just bring on the right people for, for the technology challenges. So a core team of, of researchers who, who have PA, relevant PhDs, who, ha, who understand the challenge of natural language processing and, and AI models and are able to understand and research on that and, and are able to pass through that information clearly to the engineering team. So to have that, um, that clear, clear roadmap that's being passed through to then be built in engineering. And I think as we've moved from being a, a very early stage business to being a more mature company now, I think what we've learned is almost coming back to that MVP thinking of what does what's really going to move the dial for this, you know, for the for the customers. What's really going to move the dial for, for us as a business as well? What what features are customers willing to really pay for and really value because of that impact versus being an additional feature which which the customer might not even be aware of within the, the current product. So I think there's been a lot of learnings then around how we direct and focus our, our energies onto building not just the core product, the single product that we've had, but how do we branch out Google search search ads, so the written text ads, text-based adverts that appear on Google. So again, we've been able to leverage our understanding of product intelligence. So understanding the product affinity, which is a similarity of different SKUs and the search queries and then productize that into a into a search ads product. So that's been a been a really good move where we've been able to upcycle the information that we've gained, the knowledge that we've gained, and have that clear, clear team as well. I think the other part is around retention. So in our engineering team, it's very high retention. Many, many of the, the team, I think we only ever um, have maybe one, one member leave us. So again, we're able to build on years and years of knowledge of the product, as opposed to other teams that I hear have you know people joining that they're, they're ramping up maybe they have a, a drop in their market so they've got to let some people go and then they get a growth stage again so they rehire but they're bringing that ramping period where that knowledge is getting lost where we're very fortunate to be able to have people who've been been the journey they've been in the early days when they're working across devops and all, all the other areas and now they're able to specialize and focus in a single area but they have a wide view of the entire tech stack and the tech tech product we're building Okay, let's flip to scalability then. This will be interesting. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one? And I guess with the product within the, pr- the print-on-demand company, or have you been fighting this as you grow and gain traction or any capacity? There's always challenges, I think, for sure. So in terms of scalability, the technology has been able to scale pretty linearly. So we work with retailers who've got vast amount of products, but sometimes that can create challenges. So I think there's maybe a bit around the ideal customer profile. So I remember early on, we we began working with a marketplace, which had, again, millions of SKUs across many countries. And that just created some technical challenges, which we were able to overcome. But we needed to think about how we dissect and work with such a large inventory and still be able to give that that granular product intelligence on an individual SKU level when there's some kind of hard limits around how you work with the Google Ads API, how many changes you can make and, and partitions you can have on a on a Google AdWords account. So where we're storing that Google Ads account, where we're sending that information in. So again, they created operational level challenges that we had to think about on an individual product level and overcome. And the other part of it is Whilst the technology is delivered through the APIs and building that, there's also a human component. So we work closely. We have uh, account managers who, who emulate an experience you might have with an, a digital agency. 
they will speak to, uh, to the customers frequently, maybe weekly or bi-weekly. Uh, they'll understand those, those customer strategies. They'll be able to guide on, on information they might have offline and, and expertise they have on their products, such as which products are seasonal, which new products are getting released that week, that month, any items that are overstocked, any performance which is maybe in offline uh, sales and untracked data, which again, they're able to pass through and we're able to build in the strategies. So effectively, the service delivery is through mainly a human front end. So they're through experienced team members who are able to, to advise through client success. But that creates a challenge where as you're rapidly scaling, you're scaling more and more merchants, more and more clients. Again, you've got the technical component, you're building out the systems and delivering for them. But you've also got to be able to think ahead. Uh, there's a certain ratio that, that these customer success reps can work with and support clients. And you've always got to be thinking ahead because when you're growing rapidly, you want to make sure you're bringing through reps who've had enough time to really be trained and on, on both e-commerce strategy, but also on our technology, on the channel of Google shopping or search ads. And they're free areas that we become better and better at upskilling our own team. But again, when we, as we scale the business, that's something we've got to think about scaling the technology, but also the human capital, that experience in the business as well. Okay. As you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? Yeah, I'd say I'm most proud of the of kind of two things, really. One is the, the employment that we've created. So we started out as a very small team, you know, five or six of us right in the early days after we, we made that pivot and, and took the, the market as Bidnamic and made that pivot from the print-on-demand business. And we're now a team of, of approaching 150 across the UK and the USA. We've got offices in, in Leeds in the UK and, and in Austin, Texas. So really it's about the, the employment that we've been able to create and that impact and, and the growth as well, seeing seeing colleagues grow in terms of their, their experience, their, the things they've been able to do, really seeing how they've transitioned over the years that they've been in the business is remarkable, you know, totally remarkable when you think where they were and also where I was personally to where we are now as, a, as individuals and, and also as a team collectively. So yeah, I'm really proud of the, the employment and the journey that people have been on with us. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I suppose one of the, the challenges could be like the time zones. So we've become very much uh, an American first business. So we've got a huge amount of clients in the US and we've just been, uh, as we've been growing our, our US customer base, it's about, okay, we now need to deliver this. The technology works 24 seven is AI based machine learning. So that's, you know, location agnostic. But we've got to also have this client delivery side. So we need to be able to speak regularly with customers on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. And I think as we've quickly grown in the US, we've, that, that's created some challenges for our team here in the UK to be able to deliver that, that, that service uh, to the level that we'd like to do with the flexibility for people to book in on the time zone that they're, they're in. So I think that's that's been, uh, you know, caused kind of some very early frustrations with customers who are like, oh, I thought I'd be able to do this. I thought I'd get a response in this time zone. So I think there was, there was definitely learnings there equally internally about flexing up the hours that they work so they work you know off off different hours rather than working nine to five thirty for example in the uk we're flexing up those hours so they might start later and work later and now we've localized that that in-market uh, client success as well so i think it's that, that growth journey you know as you're getting pulled and pulled up that hill with the demand you start servicing that demand and thinking okay cool this is this is great we're winning all this business in in the u.s but actually are we giving the best service? 
Are we able to really respond in time zone quickly? You know, to, are we giving the best level of service that we that we possibly can? And and what's the impact for that on on the customers, but on the clients, but also on the uh, on the on the team members as well who are involved in those. Okay, this will be fun. So what does the future look like for the product and for your team? It's really been around, the kind of last year has been around really refining our company vision and really understanding the assets that are unique to Bidnamic and how we create a roadmap of additional product lines outside the core product line of Google Shopping, which are cohesive. You know, we don't want to just start launching random products which maybe aren't connected in, in in the right manner. They don't talk a narrative which is just natural so so we spent a lot of time really re- analyzing and looking at what makes you what assets does does bidnamic have access to and how can we use those to drive our 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 future roadmap within a clear proposition so our clear proposition used to be uh, we're one product business google shopping then expanded out to search ads to microsoft bing search ads and shopping and other other related customer acquisition and PPC pay-per-click ads ad formats for e-commerce. But that's really just one segment that, that we that we're able to deliver for. So we've got three underlying assets. One is a real deep knowledge of products. So this is the, the similarity and difference of products. And this is what we call a product affinity index. So we're indexing all these products and able to see the connections and similarities and differences of, a, of an e-commerce product. The second is, is is very similar, but for search terms. So how we describe the, the products that we want to buy or we're really searching for. So this is the purchase intent. As queries become longer, as they maybe reference certain attributes like models, sizes, color, gender, brand, product type, how that impacts positively or negatively the actual likelihood to lead to a conversion and exactly what product explicitly they're searching for and looking for. And the third one is the competitive index. So being able to understand what retailers are stocking that product, what makes those retailers competitive and the competitor sets within certain retailers and their benchmarks, because we're seeing so many products and, and retailers were able to, to build out those free core assets of their, of their affinity index, competitor index and, and purchase intent index as well. By having that really clear core, we're able to think, okay, where are the four quadrants that we can apply that to? So we're already applying it very clearly to a customer acquisition. We're moving into with that with a product which is uh, just in in beta at the moment into a headless front end. After a customer clicks on an on an ad, a Google ad, shopping ad, a Bing ad, any any kind of ad format within that that quadrant, what are they actually? What's that experience they then get? Other areas that are coming off that are around the competitors, competitive intelligence tools, and also uh, product information technologies as well. So how you organize and structure product information. So that could be around uh, Google Merchant Centers, which is the, the way that product data is fed into Google, or it could be more broadly classifying and tidying up and structuring product data, which is often uh, hard to understand. So retailers love to uh, be creative, which is fantastic, and call, for example, T-shirts, a yellow T-shirt. They wouldn't call it yellow. They might call it sunburst. And, uh, you know, who knows what sunburst is? Well, fortunately, we, we understand that it's the colour and it's very close to uh, to being yellow. So we're able to maybe structure data in a way that's more discoverable and more understandable. So the core kind of four areas, but they're always ringed, ring-fenced by a clear vision, which is within customer acquisition. So that's the space that we play with. 
any technology we build, even if it's in headless e-commerce, is going to be designed and built for customer acquisition. And then we have three core brand promises that any product we want to develop in the future on our on our product roadmap has to appeal to. And that's the, as I mentioned, the outer rings, which are customer, uh, customer acquisition, our market is, is e-commerce, so customer acquisition for e-commerce retailers, and the three brand promises are around increasing revenue. So we want to uh, build a SaaS product, which is going to increase revenue for customers, which is going to increase profitability for, for retailers, and which is going to give them greater data insights. So what that allows us to do when we think about going go to market and building product is we're able to look through that lens, through that framework and think we have the these indexes internal to our business, business, which gives us an advantage. How much of an advantage does that give us to these new product ideas or to these feature ideas? And how do they rank against our brand promise and, and our market as well? So uh, it's a really clear lens that we've now got to, uh, to structure and, and uh, prioritize our, our product roadmap and, and backlog as well as innovation, our innovation pipeline. You know, we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? Could could be a mistake, could not be a mistake. Uh, could just be something you'd tweak. Obviously, hindsight gives you even more confidence. So I think um, there's been, been moments in the business, so the pandemic is probably a good one, the COVID pandemic, where it felt so we were about about 18 months old as a business we were maybe 30 or 40 people at that point and you know this unknown factor came along and you know disrupting retail and you know we kind of thought wow okay this is quite a scary moment and whilst we didn't get rid of any staff fortunately we we kind of curtailed our growth our growth we you know we thought okay let's really hold back on this and i, and I think it was a while until we really got that momentum back and, and realize actually this isn't subtraction. The market's not decreased. You know, the world hasn't actually uh, closed up business, closed up shop. Actually, this is, it's gone online, which is exactly the retailers we work with, e-commerce retailers. And there's a massive surge. Customers and shoppers, they're still shopping. They're shopping like, you know, from moving all that online, off, all that offline spend in high streets and stores has all gone online. There's people who've never shopped online, maybe the elderly who've never shopped online before who are now going online for the first time and buying. So actually we saw a real boom in our market, but maybe we were a bit slow, certainly for those initial kind of six months to really have the confidence to, to read the metrics and go, actually, we're seeing a boom here. So, so that would be one of those, those, uh, those points I would say, okay, you know, we could, we could really have been even more aggressive and grown even quicker in the pandemic. So we, we took that kind of inertia of around six months that we, that we lost there as well. Last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can we show it off to you right there on the plane? What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Advice to them would be think about the metrics that really matter behind this this product or this business that they're launching. What are the metrics that really, really matter? And obviously it depends on what stage their, their business was in, whether it's you know, if, it, if they've got users of that product, if they've got customers, really understand that, that customer journey, really understand that bag of metrics, which are going to drive the business. So they can, they can start to get data driven, data informed about how they're doing it, track the right information. Cause it's just uh, really surprising to me how many 
great you know great entrepreneurs still don't have a good handle on the core metrics of their business such as the customer acquisition cost their lifetime value the you know whatever area it is of their business that's really important and really driving that company again I, I think that's you know that's definitely been something I've learned it which is you know understand the metrics that really apply to your business and really you know bring in benchmarks of your industry where you should be where you are and then take a take a framework to try and close that gap on those metrics but first of all start by you know analyzing them thinking about them and tracking them that's great advice william thank you for being on the show today thank you for telling the creation story of bidnamic thanks thanks for having me and this concludes another chapter of code story Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.